1: Bonjour, 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 and welcome to the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au, slash cyclingcentral, or log a ride with our friend at Zwift. Joining me is, as usual, Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave?
0: I'm very good, Christoph. I'm very good. Uh, I'm missing all of my cycling friends. We do get to talk by this way. I think we'd all prefer to catch up face-to-face, but you know what? strange times we're in and we will work it out somehow won't we
1: absolutely so you've got a, a flag behind you a uh, Flanders flag and who else have we got we know how much you love Flanders first of all you know
0: of course yes not as much as our guest though well almost <laughs> as much but not well, quite as
1: much he's living our dream a little bit you know Scott Sunderland yeah, how are yeah. you Scott
2: very good Christoph and Dave how are you guys We're good. It's almost a a year since we uh, were sharing
1: a beer on your balcony. And uh, boy, a lot has happened.
2: Yeah, look, you're missing out on something. We have got amazing weather here in Belgium at the moment. I mean, for the weekend when Tour de Flanders should have been running, when we were having our beer last year, this time last year, it's been fantastic weather. And we've got 24 degrees forecast or 22 forecast for today. And we should be running Skelder Prize in Antwerpen, a Pro Series race. So... Guys, you know, we're really missing out on something here 12 months down from our last beer together.
0: (laughs) Christoph, he's lying, all right? He's lying. It's not 25 degrees. He's cooped up inside. Come on, Scotty. (laughs) Tell us the real temperature. It's 10 degrees outside. (laughs) Oh, he's going to show us. Come on, show us. I'm going to show you. Yeah, look, guys. It's, uh, It's good weather out there. Look. I do believe you, you realise. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh no, it is blue sky, it's beautiful.
2: Uh, no, no, it's no. serious. I'll send you guys screenshots. Just look up, look up Ghent uh, today's weather in Ghent today. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's really beautiful. You're based in Ghent,
1: uh, as we, we, we met you uh, last year. Uh, of course, the Flanders series, uh, has it been cancelled? Has it been postponed? Okay. I mean, this is why we're here to talk about. Uh, what's the situation yeah. exactly?
2: So the situation for the moment is uh, the ECI is working together with uh, all race organizers of world tour events at this moment and also the teams, uh, world tour teams and, and you know, also pro-continental teams, of course. They're trying to find a solution on how they can uh, try to compact the season into into potentially three, four months. Of course, this is all going to be determined by the federal governments and um uh, European Government on when when events can actually start taking place, and each country will, be, will have to make up their own judgments on this and, um, and when those uh, restrictions are going to be uh, lifted as far as travel and uh, and uh, running uh, events whether it 's uh, festivals uh, or, or cycling events sporting events etc uh, etc, cetera, et cetera. and what that might look like because uh, no one understands on you know the, the size of the uh, The groups that could be around it, for example, Tour de France, you've more or less shoulder to shoulder through the whole course. I mean, how do you police it? Uh, What's going to be the regulations and guidelines around all of this? So uh, it's very difficult. They're they're working on plans uh, currently. Uh, I know there's another meeting tomorrow uh, scheduled between all the major race organisers and UCI, and it's just trying to find solutions at the moment, um, which is very difficult because no one really knows what the situation is going to be. Uh, in six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks. So uh, makes it very difficult to, to you know, put a plan in place.
0: Scotty, you're, I think we should point out again for listeners uh, and viewers who, who don't know, you are the overall race director for Flanders Classics. So you would have been in the car, obviously, directing traffic at Tour of Flanders and, and a lot of the, the big races. How much do you think this will affect the Belgian cycling economy? We know cycling's huge in Belgium. As a mm. recreational and a competitive sport, but you've lived and breathed it for many years. How much of an impact do you think it will have on the on the economy there?
2: Look, it it will. I think sport generally across every um, across every country, whether it's cycling or football or you know cricket or whatever it happens to be in whatever season uh, they're playing at the moment. But we're seeing impacts across all sports, um, how they're dealing with it. Uh, we're seeing how our clubs are trying to deal with uh, paying salaries. Uh, I mean, uh, we've got the, the knock-on effect where sponsors are sponsoring teams. They're in difficulties because they're not able to pay their, uh, their staff, etc. And then straight away, you've got these uh, quite large sums of, of salaries being paid out to, to elite athletes, uh, whether it's in soccer or football or, or cycling. So they need to warrant why they're paying that still when they're sitting at home and actually not racing or not playing football or, or doing their sport. So, look, there's a lot to be taken in here. It's going to affect the economy, not only in Belgium, but every other country uh, where there is sporting events. Um, and that's just something that we, we need to look at. And uh, I tell you, there's a lot of people doing a lot of crisis management work at the moment, trying to problem solve. Um, and the impact is going to be huge. Uh, huge, huge, huge. I mean, the tourism dollars that uh, is lost here, because uh, so much of the work has already been done. Uh, it's just a matter of running the event. But so those investments you're never going to get back, uh, unfortunately. So it's now trying to look to the future.
1: In, in terms of the, the decision, can you get us through how how you guys came to the decision, or was it always writing on the wall? When did you start feeling that you know, it was really quite getting compromised, and and how that decision process took place?
2: Well, um, straight after I turned from the Cadell evans Road Race in, in Melbourne and Geelong, um, I came back into, into Belgium, into that actual management process of managing the coronavirus COVID-19 uh, for the Nomblupet Newsblood. So um, we already had concerns there where we, we spoke to the uh, health and welfare people about um, you know, what sort of uh, processes and protocols should we uh, put in place, and that was on the 29th of February. And practically off the back of that, within 10 days, we went in lockdown. So it we went very, very quickly, guys. Uh, so for us as an event organiser, okay, it's all new. No one knew what they had to do, whether it was uh, whatever sport discipline it was. I mean, we had Formula One, we had football, we had the UEFA Cup, we had the National Cups, we had all the cycling races. Uh, we had Paris Nice that was trying to run with a no, uh, no audience. And, and you had Trina Dratico, which was cancelling, and, and Strada Bianchi in, uh, in Italy. So... It was just this massive big storm and, and we were in the eye of it. And you're just flying blind uh, for a week or so. And all you could rely on was was the federal government um, and, and the health authorities on what was the best uh, steps forward and how this was going to be managed. And um, uh, for us, it was just you know, sitting on your hands and waiting.
1: Did you, did you get did any, you uh, any questions from the teams? Were there any teams that... Wanted to run in in a different way. You don't need to name them. Name, name them, uh, of oh, course. But like, sure. uh, w- w- what was the reaction from uh, from the actual politicians, from the director sportive, from from the sponsors? Like, uh, or was it unanimous? You know, it's better be safe than sorry.
2: Um, look, uh, already just prior to to the omelette newsblot, which was on the twenty of February. Uh, in the, in the meeting that I had with the, the team directors and the team managers already uh, spoke briefly about uh, the process protocols we're putting in place for, for COVID-19 there. Uh, but immediately off the back of this event, when everything kicked off in Italy about cancelling the races there, the RCS races like Strada Bianchi and and Milan and uh, Paris Nice, we were inundated uh, with emails from, um, from teams asking what processes we'd be putting in place. We had already started investigating that we 'd already actually uh, putting that into our planning uh, strategic planning for for the teams and, and uh, spectators, uh, etc So we were, were working on plans, but of course, when the government made its choice to it was better to do safe distancing and uh, cancel all sports events then um, it just started to happen I mean it went in waves it went from uh, from the beginning of March uh, up to uh, Gent-Webergem, which was the first event. So we had uh, um, Lance and Remo, then uh, E3 Prize and then Ghent webergem And then it was extended for another two weeks, which then took out uh, Tour of Flanders and all other races. And then quickly off the back of that, then they said, bang, no racing at all until 1st of June at the earliest.
0: Scotty, you're, you're there, you're on the ground. And obviously, as we said, you're so heavily involved in the Flanders Classics. What's your gut feeling about the professional cycling season? Will it restart this year? Do you think there's a chance it will restart this year in Europe? And I don't want to, I hope that doesn't sound negative because there's a chance that it won't, isn't there? But what does what your gut feeling tell you?
2: Look, I mean, we all only know what we're hearing from our, our governments uh, and, and from this, you know, scientists and, and, and World Health Organization. Who, uh, so we're all guided by them on. on what's going to be the potential uh, curve and what their modelling was going to look like for the end of the year. Um, Most people are agreeing that this coronavirus is is going to be around for some time to come. could be for for lifetimes, who knows. Uh, But at the moment, we just need to be able to work with it. So those decisions are sort of being made for us. But the feeling from the teams uh, is, is quite desperate at the moment. Um, as you guys have probably been reading, that a lot of the teams have been uh, their re- uh, salaries have been reduced to thirty percent. Some teams have been able to continue to be paying uh, their riders. Um, everyone's in different situations because of the different uh, sponsors they have and, and uh, financial support. So that's a big concern, David, for um, whether or not we will have enough teams and will there be teams that can uh, get back into into race form and uh, be in a situation to race. The second thing is the race organisers. Uh, rock organizers will be able to put on in a race I mean we are all uh, waiting for the green light uh, to to go ahead, so that means that everything has to be done very very quickly i mean it 's all well and good that people say yeah look uh, put put the race in august but you 've got to normally if we're able to run bike races that means that people can go on holidays because the peak holiday season is July August in europe okay so all those hotel rooms and Everything else has been booked in August. There's no Tour de France. Tour de France had all that accommodation in France blocked out in July. Now, all of a sudden, they've got to do it in August. Where are they are going to find the hotels, even if they're going to put the race on anyway? And they yeah. need to be able to have all their staff have got to be free and ready to work. And, and you know, we're talking about all television coverage. We're talking about all the press. I mean, for everybody, you know, it's turning your whole racing schedule and work schedules on, on its head. So there's got to be a lot of... Um, uh, flexibility and adaptivity to to be able to you know, incorporate this into into the new program and uh, into everybody's lives. So, um, mate, it just makes your head spin when you start thinking of all the bits and pieces that got to fit in this puzzle. Yeah, we know, and- you,
1: you touched on a little bit on the, on the teams being you know willing and, and needing to uh, to actually uh, reduce their, their their workforce, reduce the. How deep is the impact? You know, because we, we, we see this, but 30%, 40% and, and some teams are probably impacted more than others. But how, from what you hear, how deep is the, is the impact in, in, in even smaller teams, you know, like the different division well, team?
2: I think the smaller teams are definitely uh, having, having struggles um, and it depends on, on the financial input from the sponsor. So if a sponsor, say for example, CCC, They've invested massively into the team and they've gone uh, into it big because that was their main driver to publicize the their expansion of their stores across uh, Western Europe. So they were already very big and established in Poland and in, uh, other Eastern Bloc countries. But they were pushing into, into Holland and into Belgium and Germany, etc. So a lot of their market budget was around the team. But now that they 're not actually able to work uh, etc so they 've got to put off staff they 're putting them on uh, on technical uh, unemployment etc etc so they 're all reduced salaries, but then they 've got all these writers who are receiving such big salaries, so they need to reduce those as well i mean it 's only fair isn 't it that if you're, you're mm. people who are making and, and creating this sponsorship, making it possible for the company that the writers also take uh, cuts. It's not the same for all teams. Um, for example, Jumbo Visma. Jumbo is, is supermarkets and it's probably one of the only uh, huh. industries which is going ahead. Not like, uh, yeah. for example, uh, I have a good friend who works for Eurolinks. Now, Eurolinks just seen all the classics go, the Giro go, uh, ro- um, all the marathons go. They lost like four marathons all at once. The Eurovision Song Festival. So for them, from uh, audiovisual sector, that's been a massive hit to those guys. Plus all my friends who are photographers and uh, videographers and cameramen and reporters, commentators, everybody's trying to make do. So the effect onto the teams and, and everybody that work around the teams uh, is, is huge. It is huge. Um, but the riders are, are trying to survive. They're trying to keep happy, trying to keep positive. Uh, they, you know, uh, some riders are una- unable to go outside. So um, we're talking countries like France, uh, Italy and Spain. You're not allowed to train outdoors, uh, but here in Belgium, you're allowed to train outdoors. Uh, Scandinavia and Holland, you're still allowed to train outdoors, but you can only uh, do it individually. So you're not allowed to do it in a group. Scotty, on a uh, on a positive note, there's <laughs> not <laughs> too much is good to talk about at the moment in
0: cycling, but on a positive note, uh, I did sit up and watch the other night the first virtual Ronde van Vlaanderen. And then I did see a post, uh, I think it was yesterday, on social media, 613,000 people in Mm -hmm. Belgium watched that live stream, and that didn't include, uh, I think, YouTube pages like uh, GCN, Global Cycling Network. No. So there was over 700,000-plus people Mm -hmm. watched the virtual Flanders. That's pretty impressive, and that actually would have put it ahead of races like Strada Bianca in terms of TV audience
2: it's quite Look, incredible wasn't it it was though it was very successful it was put together very quickly uh thomas van der spiegel the ceo of uh, flanders classics um uh, worked very quickly with the uh, tv broadcast so our partner which is uh, vrt flemish radio and television uh which is equivalent to you know your abc or sbs in in australia um and the, the production crew just you know went into it hammer and tong, uh, they were able to put a deal together. It was a little bit ad hoc in some areas, but it worked and what was uh, really fantastic to see with those numbers Dave uh, was the younger audience. they actually seen across the demographics of those uh, viewers uh, there was a lot younger audience and that was potentially because it was cut down to a 45 minute race with everything included it's about one hour of viewing so People were happy to say, "Yep, well, one hour, take a beer, take a you know of the chips, whatever." I'm going to watch this, and I was watching it with a critical eye because it was the first time, and that was sort of part of my role was to look at it. And I was, I got into it, and and to hear, yeah. I mean, maybe you guys have seen it, but to hear when i talk about, yeah, I had a ten second gap, and I was you know really fighting to keep that gap. He was taking it just like he was in a race, and that that's fantastic. And and you know,
0: how uh, was it? How was it perceived in? in Belgium do you think like post post event the next day on social media over there and on the, yep. on the, in the, the news um, channels over there, how was it sort of, what was the wash up like?
2: Well, you can imagine the last few weeks is no sport been happening. So they always, so you have the news and the news is 90% coronavirus, right? Yeah. And then they go to sport. And what is the sports commentator talking about? Just like what I've been talking to you, negative sort of thing. <laughs> oh, this is happening. This is happening. And all of a sudden they've gone, yes, cat um, I forget now the, the guy who did it. And they went across to sport and he was like smiling as I said, oh, talk about the race and, <laughs> and, and they could show an interview. So it was well, really well received. And uh, I think for everybody, it was a ray of sunlight uh, yeah. in, in their lives and, and especially for the sporting world. Um, for us as Flanders Classics, it, we were the first event to be able to do something like this, even though it was a little bit last minute and ad hoc. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more races doing virtual um, racing over the coming weeks and months. So uh,
1: Tour, de Suisse, I think, isn't Tour de Suisse has announced that they will do, uh, which will be different. It's a one week long, which mm-hmm. is, uh, this is a classic, it's an hour. How do you yeah. sustain a one week uh, sort of event on a, on a, on a platform like this? It would be interesting to see what's happening there.
2: Yeah, look, I think they, they can do a good job. I think it's very easy, uh, or quite easy to do, um, because at the end of the day, you, as you've seen with the Flanders Classics uh, tour of Flanders the other day, you have timing, so you know the timing gaps. Uh, you can also do the hill sprints because you know we've seen them. Uh, I think it was Thomas de Gent who came over the top of Quarremont first, and then you had uh, Greg Van Avermaet who came over the um Patersstraat, sorry, uh, first. So you can do all the KOMs and, and, and so forth as well, still. so I actually see that it can work, and they've got a little bit more time to to finesse the uh, the process and how it's going to look. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's very well possible, and hey, it's what we have at the moment, and um, it's uh. you know new frontiers for everybody. And I think we're actually turning a corner in, in virtual reality. and, speaking in, in avatar world and which I never thought we'd get there, but here we are, you know, it's, it's crazy stuff. So it's, in, it's in crazy to... crisis, you see some new, new stuff happening, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. But like what, what would be left outside of, you know, once the, cause let's face it, I've said it before here, like humanity is not going to stop on coronavirus. So no. humanity will come out of it. Uh, but things might change. And this is one of the changes that could stay. Like, would you consider running an event or adding an event as the, the from the, the set of the Flanders Classics adding adding a, a virtual event at some point?
2: Look, there's been some talk about it already. So I mean, we're looking at esports, and and, and I think definitely uh, virtual uh, sports is is something to to be considering. Um, and I think for people at home who are unable to get out, you know, the work life or whatever. Uh, that, yeah, this, is, this could be it. I mean, shortening it up like what we did We had the, um, with the Tour of Flanders, keeping it to an hour, uh, the attention span is not too, too long, and you can also then join in, in yourself, uh, yourself. So what we see now, what the riders did the other day, they set the times, etc. cetera, the pro riders, and they really raced. So now Maka can go and uh, download the same uh, same course and he can race against Van Avermaet to see if he's still got the same legs as he did years ago. So, you know... <laughs> I, 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 didn't have, I didn't have the
0: legs to keep up with Van <laughs> 15 years ago, Scotty. So I dare say I'd, I'd be, uh, I would won't be downloading the route. <laughs> I, I won't be making it public anyway.
2: <laughs> but I mean, yeah, this is new frontiers. That's true. Yeah, nah, true. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But, I mean, yeah. you, if you're a young aspiring rider and you want to come up, you actually can see where the benchmarks are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I mean, even, even what was really uh, quite cool about the uh, Tour of Flanders the other day was even in Poole's comments, Remco, because he went out pretty hard. And, uh, and Thomas De Gant, of course, couldn't hold himself back. You know, the, the, the ever perpetual breakaway uh, guy, expert. And so Thomas De Gendt went out with him and they were riding pretty hard. And you could see the watts that they're doing constantly. It's sitting at 450, 500, back to, you know, 380, 400. So they're punching out some big power to keep out there. And then you just seen Van sitting back. He was with Narsen and so forth. And then on the quorum, went, boom, just like you would in a real race, suck his doors off. Mm. And like Ramco said <laughs> after the interview, he says, he I've seen Van on the Buttersberg when he stood up on his home trainer, because you could actually see what was happening in their house. And he says, what's he doing standing up? But he said, I felt it after because he said, I was going backwards and Van rode away from me. And this is the commentary that's happening. So it was still very interactive, even though they're in their own garages or homes or offices and living rooms with their wives passing in the background and the kids coming up, you know, (laughs) hey, dad. (laughs) So it's really real life sort of stuff. So it will have a place, I think. Um, And to answer your question, Christoph. Potentially, yes, it could have a place in, in having a virtual race plus your normal race, of course. I mean, uh, it will have a place. And I think it a, a possibly can be used as a marketing tool. It could be made possible for just to, to connect more with the public and and the, and the person at home who's riding on their home trainer.
0: Well, the other, and the other side of that, Scotty, I guess, is the uh, the uh, Flanders Fondo, which I've done a few times. Mm-hmm. 12,000, I think it is, or 13,000. So obviously that's been a big blow as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, 12,000 people get to ride the course the day before. I guess there's that potential, isn't there, that 12,000 people can then ride a virtual uh, Flanders Fondo the day before the virtual race.
2: Yeah, look, in total we get closer to... um... Uh, unofficial figures is thirty thousand,
1: <laughs> but
2: uh yeah i know it's big that's, yeah. a, they, that's across all the circuits um so yeah. we have a small one but yeah uh, and this is what you can potentially do you could have the long circuits again uh and and then you can have the shorter ones so everybody who still feels they want to get on their bike can definitely do the uh, sportive ride and that's something that we'll look at that depending on how the coronavirus is going and and, and what the um what the regulations are going to be and how relaxed they're going to be as far as uh, writing in groups, etc., are going to be towards the end of the year. Uh, this will be an option that people can do it in in virtual, um, virtual fondo, virtual uh, fondo, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to, to conclude this uh, this podcast. Uh, if we look towards the, to the future, uh, what do you as a race organizer want to happen? Like if, we, if, if I can give you a blank sheet of paper and say, let's rewrite together the, uh, the end of 2020, uh, mm-hmm. where would you slot the Tour de France? Where would you slot the Grand Tour? Where would you slot Paris-Roubaix against Flanders? You know, what, what, how would you want to
2: design that? Um, If I was going to be designing it, and and it's pretty much where a lot of people are thinking is that uh, all the Grand Tours will need to be reduced to two weeks, so three weekends. Uh, And that's purely so that we can free up some weekends for other events. Um, And if you're starting with the Tour de France, uh, say, for example, beginning of August, then we would also need to look at trying to have at least two to three one day or one week races, stage races prior to the Tour de France. Because uh, riders will need to have done some sort of racing to have some level of fitness to compete at the tour. Then you'd follow with the Tour of, it- tour of Italy and then the Tour of Spain. Uh, the one day monuments need to find a place in there as well. Um, so, obviously, in Milan, San Remo, uh, Tour of Flanders, Liège, Brussels, Liège, Paris, uh, uh they will need to find their place. Um, and then potentially, you've got races like Strata, Yankee, and Gem, also to find a place. Uh, some of those other bigger one-day races in between. And of course, we've still got the uh, events, which uh, World Tour events, which uh, will keep their place, hopefully, because you know uh, they're, they're going to be the victims of the whole coronavirus, because races which were cancelled or, or, or uh, postponed at the beginning of the year, all of a sudden are now coming in to go shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them in their time slot that they were um, designated already uh, last year. So races like... Um, the Bing Bang Tour, for example, the stage race, and uh, you've got Plouet, uh, which is a World Tour race, and uh, a few others. Um, San Sebastian, don't forget, we've got that. There's a yeah. World Tour race classic. So this is where the puzzle will need to be uh, put together, uh, and this is the, the task that the UCI has. They've only got X amount of weeks and weekends. Remember, most races are run on weekends. And you can only do what you can do. Uh, the racing season has been prolonged until the 1st of November, so at the end of October. So that does give us an extra four weeks to run uh, World Tour races in. Um, I but- hope you're right,
0: Scotty. I hope you're right. And I guess for a lot of us, maybe a lot hinges on the Tour de France mid-May. They've said they're going to make a decision on the Tour de France. So mm-hmm. that might sort of make the decision for a lot of us uh, where the cycling season will go,
1: yeah? Hey, Maka, do you want to to talk to him about your uh, idea of a super grand tour? Uh, In a nutshell, Maka had this idea of a super grand tour, of joining the three tours together. Uh, Let's not go into stage by stage, but, you know, if you want to... I can if you want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I like the idea of a week in each of the countries, Scotty. A week Mm -hmm. in France, a week in Italy. Mm -hmm. A week in Spain, and in the week in Spain, you implement San Sebastian as a stage, maybe a shortened Mm -hmm. version, and you implement Milan San Remo as a shortened version as a stage of the Grand Tour. And then of the monuments, we keep Il Lombardia, the only standalone monument, which you won't like the sound of that, working for Flanders Classics, of course, uh, because, of course of the you know the the terrible time that they have had in uh, Lombardia it would be a gift from cycling back to the region mm. uh, but Flanders and Roubaix and I know you're not involved with Roubaix but we we implement those as stages of the grand tour the one grand tour that we race for the year imagine that imagine Flanders 3 days out from Paris
2: that would be pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> uh look i mean we're all been having fun coming up with different concepts of how we would do it if we were the we were the big boss, you know. Uh, it's funny, it's funny. And look, we've had some funny discussions. And even my mind, when I go out for a ride, and you think about all the different possibilities and formulas that you come up with. Uh, but yeah, look, mate. Yeah, I think the biggest... <laughs> it is a crazy like idea. You know, I, like I like this. Short answer is you like <laughs> I think your biggest obstacle there is trying to get all the governments to agree and uh, et cetera, et cetera, that. But yeah, look, why not? Why not? I mean, We'll it's, workshop it. it. We'll workshop it. Yeah. Uh, I think if you spend a bit more time on it, um, send it over and I'll, I'll pass it on. How's that? Oh, good stuff. <laughs> That's all I need. That's all I need. How very diplomatic Positive of you, attitude. Scotty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he likes it. Shut up, Christophe.
1: <laughs> he had pretty much the same reaction with Durbo the other day as well. Durbo was uh,
2: paris in week three. <laughs> uh, no, it is. Uh, yeah, it's stuff. crazy times but uh, look i think the realistic thing is that uh, it's just trying for the ucis to get all the uh, grand tours to just narrow down to two weeks if they, that can yeah. happen then we can still run all the monuments uh, all the other races we had to keep their, their spot on the on the calendar and uh, i think what we also got to do is, is make sure that the teams are involved in all this decision making because we're looking at, at races which are normally three weeks and, uh, and long stages and, and monument races, which, you know, like Tour of Flanders is 275Ks. Will they be able to still ride that sort of an event? And, you know, milan san remo 300Ks. You want, you're yeah. not going to be doing that in the first week of August, are you? milan san remo when you've been training on a home trainer the whole time. So, yeah, actually, actually so,
1: yeah. talking about milan san remo uh, and being in Belgium, someone like the, uh, Gilbert, we know, mm-hmm. you know the interest he had for that race. Um, that's the only one missing in his, uh, in, yeah. you know, in all his, in uh, his great career. Uh, how do you think? How, how, how is that received in Belgium? This, you know, uh, because there was big expectation for him to to be able to sure. to, to fulfil
2: this. Yeah, look, for a lot of riders, I think it's the same. And then, uh, like Gilbert, literally, he's running out of time. Um, Greg Van Avermaet. I mean, you know, he's still, although he won the virtual Tour of Flanders, he's still chasing his Tour of Flanders victory. He's been twice second. So every year that goes mm-hmm. by is, is, you know, is, is, his chances are dramatically decreasing. Um, okay, the upside for Greg Vanavmat Van is a, a year longer as an uh, Olympic champion, so he's going to be five oh. years Olympic champion. So, <laughs> you know, take Fair take what long. you can along the way. Um, but then you've also got young riders who are just on the, on the brink of breaking through. You know, um, we wanted to see, especially riders like Jack Hay. Where was he going to go to this year? And all of a sudden, you know. It's a, it's a year, it's just, you know, this uh, pause year because of this. So uh, I think for some riders who have been able to have some good race results begin the year, they'll be going, wow, I'm glad I've already got that under the belt. But there's some riders who really haven't even hit their straps yet uh, and got no idea where they're at. Um, you know, it's going to be tough for them uh, coming into August. So uh, there's a lot of question marks around for a lot of people and there's a lot of people following people, uh, riders, um, and, and the stars like uh, um, Greg Van Avermaet and, and Philip Joubert
1: Absolutely, Scott, it was awesome to have you on the on podcast, thank you for for your time and uh, I, I'm sure it's about time for you to enjoy a beer and the sunshine, the 24 degrees
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go for a coffee and a ride since I'm about nine hours behind you guys Yeah, shut up
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good to talk to you, Scotty
0: and good to see you, stay well
2: Likewise guys, Christoph Maka, see you. Bye
0: Before we go, a quick shout out to Zwift, the app that turns indoor training into a game. Getting started on Zwift is easy. You just need your bike, a trainer and your PC, Mac or Apple device. Zwift offers training plans, interval workouts and a global community. Get strong and get motivated with every ride. Give people a ride on and you're sure to get one back, as together you enjoy the massive benefits of social indoor training. Go to Zwift.com today and start your free trial.